All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Enigma. Enigma is a body language analyst who makes videos on the body language and mannerisms of characters and actors in movies, TV shows, internet videos, and so much more. Enigma teaches how body language can be learnt and used to make us better communicators and connectors with others. He's a qualified body language analyst with a CPD certified diploma in body language analysis and is endorsed by the Quality License Scheme. In this interview, we discuss what body language is and why it's a superpower if you can understand it, how body language leakage and micro-expressions can help you be better in all situations, from dates to poker to business meetings, and so much more. This one is awesome, and you'll want to get a notepad and pen to take notes because the gems come frequent and fast in this one. And now, let's get to the interview. I love Enigma. Where did that come from? Um, so I'm, I've always been fascinated in mystery. And originally, my channel was about deduction and Sherlock Holmes, but I kind of wanted to move off from that um, and feature more on mysteries because I'm I'm just fascinated in like you know UFOs, ghosts, paranormal, um, and then also like human psychology and things like that. So I thought enigma is the perfect word because it means difficult to understand. Perfect word to describe what we're doing on the channel. So that's where it came from. Love it. So for those who maybe don't recognize your um recognize the brand yet, but I mean I can't understand why because it's a it's a brilliant channel. Could you give somebody a quick introduction? Like say you had to give them a, a pitch between elevator floors or something like that. How would you sum up what you do on your Enigma YouTube channel? I explained the things that people should be interested in. So body language, for example, that is I call it a superpower. Um, that people don't really tap into. Um, so the whole channel is focused on body language, uh, body language currently, but then it will focus on all other mysteries and things that are looking us in the face, but that we don't want to acknowledge yet. I think that's the easiest way to describe uh, it. <laughs> I mean, it was quite amazing when I was watching it with like how much little gestures, which you, you don't even recognize you're doing. You can feel it, but you don't actually know that you're portraying it to the world can mean and people can understand and what it actually implies and how the, the group dynamics change depending on, you know, when everybody's laughing, who somebody looks at, for example, or mm. the, the little micro expressions. It, it's really interesting to discover this. And I love that yeah. you use your um, like films and TVs. You know, it's not just some random guy. It's, it's scenes we've seen and we can actually mm. appreciate the art better from it. But what was your yeah. inspiration for this? What made you think, yeah, body language is for me? Well, it all started five years ago when I created the channel. Initially, I was into deduction, so Sherlock Holmes picking up tiny little bits of information and formulating a big conclusion from it. But it realized, well, it came to me that the 
easiest things from body language to learn, the, the main things that actually gave results was uh, body language, uh, sorry, from deduction. So I thought, well, making inferences and judgments, they aren't very accurate in a dedu- uh, from deduction, but body language was like the one thing that was reliably accurate, reliably provided information. So I wanted to dive deeper into that and the psychology behind it than just stay with deduction and it's become something amazing. Um, and I've reacted to film scenes because I wanted to make it relatable to everyone because you know everyone's seen Joker, everyone's seen Marvel films. So to actually show people that it's not just in a certain circumstance, it's actually in everything, uh, in the famous movie scenes, you can pick up so much more just from looking at it from a body language point of view. And I think that's why it's worked well is because people get to watch their favorite movie scenes but with an extra level of depth and appreciation for the acting as well. Because that was something that really came across in your videos was, you know, you kept mentioning about the quality of the acting. And I think I understand it better now by seeing all the little sort of nuances you're mentioning. And I can kind of go, oh, right. Now I know what the, why he was doing that. You know, he, yeah. so you're not just going, mm, the line reading was bad. You're kind of going, so that's what the facial expression meant. And it really made me kind of watch TV shows in a different light. And I, I really like that about your show. But why would you, for somebody listening who's thinking, oh, body language is quite interesting. Why would we be interested in body language? What is the purpose or what's the the level up that you get from understanding body language? It, it's huge. Uh, I call it the superpower. It's the hidden superpower. And I, other people have talked about it before. Um, it gives you an advantage in every single situation. And I don't mean advantage in a, a sort of a, a nasty way. I mean, like, it will make your encounters with other people so much easier because you can understand with your conscious what's going on. We all can read body language with our subconscious and we get, you know, general impressions from people. If someone walks into a room, you might instantly dislike them, but you don't know why. Understanding body language with your conscious allows you to understand why you don't like that person or why you like that person or what they're trying to what they're like in a social situation. And being able to pick up on that gives you a huge advantage over everyone else because it means that you have more knowledge. And it's an economics term that I that I like, um, and it's called asymmetric information. And it basically means in economics, say there's a, a garage sale or car boot sale and someone's selling a vase for £100. It's a, it's a nice-looking vase. But you know, because you've researched antiques, that it's actually worth £50,000 to them, if you buy it, it's good for them because they're like, oh, we've got rid of this old anti- antique for 100 quid. We thought it was worth nothing. So to them, they're happy. And to you, you're happy because you've just made 50,000 pounds. It's like that with body language. It allows you to see situations and take advantage of them that other people just are completely oblivious to. Um, and I think the biggest application of it is uh, in the dating world, You know, trying to give a good impression to a girl or stuff like that. Uh, that's where like most yeah. people are interested in it. I've got a whole it. section on that. I, uh, yeah. I used to do a bit of pickup, and you know it was indicators of interest. And what was mm-hmm. it? it used to be if their feet were angled this way, it meant this and this. You know, and yeah, it, it, it took it out of you know it made you stop becoming real. You know, in that kind of situation, I didn't yeah. like it in terms of. You know, it was it was handy to know what it, things meant, but they had like you know, if they're doing this, then do this routine, and it, it kind of lost mm. it for me. But which part of us controls body language? Is this something that we can 
really learn to control or are we always going to have like you know, our brain at some point showing our fear showing our you know is it true this you know is it cycles the, the- yeah, this is the thing with body language, and you'll see a lot of people making YouTube videos about body language. Um, so body language varies between cultures. The conscious body language is what I call it. You have to understand that body language isn't that developed. There aren't standard terms across everything that means the same thing. So people will say body language, you know, thumbs up. Saying thumbs up is body language because, you know, you're ex- expressing a message with the thumbs up. And that's true. Body language encompasses that. But what I'm interested in is the the biological reasoning, the, the pacifying behaviors, the distancing behaviors, and what causes them to happen and what they actually mean. And so that's really what I think body language, for me, what I'm interested in is that it's the biological side. I'm not really interested in, you know, thumbs up and hand signals and stuff like that. I like the biological stuff that actually really reveals what our subconscious is thinking. And that's what provides us with the most information. You can control your body language, but you would have to be very, very good because it's um, it, it's like controlling fear. If you're afraid, you're trying to consciously tell your subconscious to not be afraid. Or if you have stage fright, you it's the same way. You can try and control your body language the same way you try and control stage fright. Um, but it's a natural process and your brain's going to try and get you to do things to react in certain ways. So you can, you can have some influence over it, but I, I, you'd have to be an incredibly, incredibly good person, like skilled person to control it for a a long amount of time. Everyone slips up somewhere. And actually if, if you're a liar and stuff or you're serial killer trying to hide it, the more you try and fake it, the easier it is to spot because basically you're baseline the whole time and baseline is really important in body language, you'll go from having neutral body language, which is you know trying to stop giving off expressions, and then all of a sudden you'll exhibit one cue, you'll slip up once. And it's that slip up, the huge deviation in the baseline, that is what people like me will look at and go, oh, that shouldn't be there. Why is that there? So actually what happens is if you try and control it, you end up making it worse for yourself because any one slip up is instantly recognizable. Whereas if you were constantly doing pacifying behaviors and that was your baseline, it's more difficult to see like pacifying behaviors occur at certain points because you're already doing it basically. So how do you learn this? I mean, so say if somebody was saying, yeah, okay, that's maybe just his opinion or, um, you know, some of these other channels, how do you Mm. actually learn it? I mean, there is like, obviously you've got qualification in this, but, how do you start to learn this? How would you advise somebody listening to go about that? You know, is there training we can do or is it just a kind of trust your gut and how you interact with people, do you think? So as I said before, we all know body language. We all can get a feeling of what people are doing. And what I really learn from reading books is that's the main way of, of, of learning for me is books and, and actually using it practically because it's although it's an underdeveloped field and like deduction you can formulate massive conclusions um i don't like that you can see small observations and that's the main thing is picking up on things you know if someone does a distancing behavior that is a distancing behavior because that's what it is and books will tell you and explain why they're doing the distancing behavior so it's easy to identify these nonverbal cues but then what i I'm not a big fan of, and people who have just gotten into body language is 
interpreting what those cues mean. So you'll have internet articles that will say, oh, if they look up and left, it means they're lying. If they look up and right, they're telling the truth. That's nonsense. You know, it'll vary diff- uh, based on person to person. But what we can, the scientific, um, which is, again, what I'm so interested in, the pacifying behaviors, the reactions to stress, that is factual. That is something that we can quantify, we can test. Um, so it's like, that's what I'd say. Get into that. Learn about, read the Dictionary of Body Language. It's a brilliant book. Uh, read the book, every, What Everybody is Saying. That gives you a brilliant understanding. And then go out and pick up those observations. Don't make conclusions, but just go, okay, that was a distancing behavior. That was a pacifying behavior. You know, he's he's distancing with his uh, feet. He's, he wants to leave the conversation and then see if he actually leaves the conversation based on his foot positioning. These are all things that you can just sit and watch and understand. And once you've got that understanding, you can then try and learn more and try and test and try and say, well, he's probably lying because he's doing these behaviors. It's kind of, it's it's a bit like chemistry. You know, you've got chemicals reacting in a certain way. Um, it's the same with body language. You'll see people react and you'll you'll make assumptions based on that, but it might not always be universal and that's where i think there's a gray area and that's why a lot of people say body language is nonsense but i disagree i mean the course that i did um that course was pretty much um just definitions it was defining things it didn't say you know this means that they're a liar it said nothing like that it was purely listing the the cues and and what they were defined as you know proxemics it was really really useful actually to to, do, to learn. That's why the Dictionary of Body Language is so important. Read that because it will tell you what all these are and you can categorize them. So uh, that's how I learned anyway. And I mean, that was, you know, the, I suppose there's a lot of myths around body language. And one of them was always said like 95% of your communication is through your, you know, your body language is mm-hmm. nonverbal. It's not so much what you say, it's how you're saying it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, are there myths like that? I mean, that was what I was always told. If your eyes went up and to the left, it was activating this part of the brain and that part of the brain. But that's the way I looked at it was like, I, that, and that's what I got from your channel was all of that is just such a myth. There's not, yeah. this doesn't exist. You know, it's not like I can read every single person by, but how do we establish a baseline? How do we know mm. what's normal and what's not for somebody? Well, that's why it's 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 not mass; it's chemistry. That's what that's the biggest example I can give. Mass one add one equals two. That's it. There's no arguing about that. Whereas chemistry, you have different reactions, you have different things happening, and you might not always get the same results. You have to do hundreds of tests with reactions to see and get an official like result written down. And even then, it's up for debate, and people can argue about it, bicker about it, and and formulate conclusions and theories. That's that's what body language is like. You know, people who say that looking up and left means this, that's not always applicable. It, it might do, but then you have to quantify that with data and statistics. But that is to use that as a judgment, to use that in everyday life is, is nonsense. And these are where the myths arise. You mentioned 90%. They say around 70 to 80% is in the nonverbal communication. But then again, you have people who have, um, cases of autism who may not exhibit so much nonverbal communication. It might just be purely verbal. So it's it's all about the baseline. It's all about the individual that you're looking at. And this is where it kind of becomes a gray area that people don't like. And that's why people don't like body language that much is because 
some people might just go completely against what you're saying because people are like that. People are different. So it's not universal for everyone. That's why I always say in my videos, it commonly means this. And you have to take into account how many times they do this. Do they, is this just a natural trait that they, that they do? So when I was looking at the Logan Paul video, uh, he grabbed hold of the wall, which is a grounding behavior. It means he's lacking in confidence. But someone might just naturally do that all of the time. And also putting arms on the wall could be a, dom um, a dominant stance. You know, it could be an intimidation or something like that. So it, you really have to understand the person, the situation, the whole context to make a conclusion and then it's not fact you can't say it's fact it's it potentially is and it's like a likelihood it's why i never deal with finites i don't say it means this i mean it suggests this and you have to be careful with that i think because that's definitely something i got sort of annoyed at was when you read other articles people were saying nope that's what it means you know it's 100 percent this and mm. you know it's like you've mentioned is i've got friends who have you know they're on different spectrums for example like autism and stuff mm. and you can see that what is normal or what is normally accepted isn't always what somebody in those with those kind of conditions will do yeah and it doesn't always mean it it's um I mean, I was really interested in the art of like micro expressions, for example. You know, everybody always assumes folded arms or, you know, my, if I'm, my legs are crossed and my foot's away from you, it means I'm not interested in what yeah. you're saying or something like that. Can you go into a little bit about micro expressions and how they are used in, in body language? And what, you know, what should we look out for? Mm. So micro expressions tend to occur when we don't really want to give away body language. So people who, well, we all know what a micro-expression is. It's a short expression, a leakage. Uh, that's what it's commonly known as of body language that we don't want out there. So most people who want to try and hide their body language, it becomes a micro-expression because they do it and then they instantly stop doing it. Um, so you'll find with serial killers and stuff like that, they'll do stuff very, very quickly and then they'll stop it. And that really provides a very, very good insight into the psyche of the person because... Um, I can't remember the example of what I was looking at, but someone smiled briefly in one of the videos that I analyzed. I can't remember which one it was, but they stopped it straight away. So that shows that they were actually quite pleased with the situation. And then given the context of the situation, you can bring that into account of why were they smiling? Why were they happy with the situation? If it was a situation where they were maybe harming someone, you can see that they took pleasure in harming someone. And that that's where micro expressions are really useful. I, I don't, I don't give them, I wouldn't give them as much credit as people tend to uh, with micro expressions because, firstly, they're very, they're rare compared to other things and they are kind of wishy washy. It's very difficult because they happen for such a short amount of time. It might, and they tend to happen with the mouth, it's very difficult to formulate a conclusion from that. The best, best um, cues that I look at are the feet because we all have to stand up uh, when we're standing up. We all have to have our feet in a certain position mm. and the feet are the most reliable sources of body language. In my opinion, um, it's, uh, it's staggering actually how easy it is to read people's feet. Um, I can go into like the, the details of foot positioning if you want. Um, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I mean, cause that's something, you know, it's, we're always in business meetings or we're in uh, mm. dates or things like that. Is there things we can do that that we can quickly look at and identify without just saying yeah. staring like we've got a foot fetish? Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
I noticed this when I was in college, people's feet positioning, you know, before lunch, everyone was gathered around in, in their circles of people that were like hundreds of people there talking with a, with each other. And you could look at the feet and just, I used to just sit and watch. It looked a bit strange, but you'd see who was in the situation, who was the most popular, because what tends to happen is your feet are like a, 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 a V position. So they point forward and it tends to be if you drew a, a line pointing from the ends of the feet, that tends to be where their focus is. Now, obviously, you're not going to have people standing with their feet sideways because that's you, know, you couldn't stand like that. But it tends to be that where your feet are positioned, what they're pointing towards signifies what they're interested in. So if someone comes into a group of, uh, of people, so say you've got three people standing in front and their feet are narrowly pointing towards the three of them, and an extra person comes and within say a minute or two they don't adjust their feet positioning to encompass that extra person that would suggest and notice i say suggest that that person isn't that interesting to them whereas if you have say your best friend comes into the group you notice that their feet instantly adjust to put them uh okay. pointing towards that person um it's mainly so that they can turn their torso and talk to them but it's a it's a good indicator um of whether they do that. I mean, it takes me back to the Sherlock story where it was the dog. I can't remember which one it was, but it was the fact that the dog didn't bark uh, when the killer came in. That gave away who the killer was because it was someone the dog knew. Now, it's what didn't happen. So if their feet didn't adjust to the new person, that's a suggestion, and then you can make conclusions from that. Um, so that's where body language it requires sort of a, a keen mind to make conclusions and formulate theories as to why you know why didn't he adjust his feet when that person came in or why he, did he adjust his feet and uh, how that plays into the context of the situation um the the interesting one is actually when the people's feet are pointing away so what you'll have is if someone's been in a conversation for a long amount of time and they're not really interested and they kind of just want to go and i in the loki video i'm not sure if you watched it but i showed the perfect example of this, their feet will point where they want to travel. So you'll notice people will be standing with their left foot pointing forwards to whoever they're talking to, but their right foot will be spread quite far away, pointing outwards. And you think, well, what, why, why are their feet like this? Why, that's such an odd position to have if you're in, in the group. But what that means is that they want to travel in that direction. It's as simple as that. And uh, I've been in conversations with people and um, business meetings and things like that. And I notice the feet positioning and I know they're going to leave in a second. And then they make it instantly, when I think that, they instantly leave the situation and walk off in that direction. So you can test these things and it's it's surprisingly accurate. Because that's what you used to always see was articles on BuzzFeed about Jedi mind tricks, you know, and it's look at somebody's feet and this is exactly what it means if they're facing that way or that way. And, and some of them would work on a regular basis, but do you... Go back to the baseline, would you need to watch what was happening previous to that? Or can you really kind of gauge after a few minutes in a group dynamic like that? So so, so the feet positioning, I say are the easiest because they're so simple to understand. It's There's only so much body language you can do with your feet because they have to be standing still because that's how you stand. Otherwise you'd fall, you'd fall over. So they have to be positioned and there are only a certain number of positions they can be. So... What it does is it allows you to make, it increases the accuracy of your observations because there's fewer variables, there's fewer positions the feet can be in. So you can, and again, you can't say definitively, but if someone's in a group conversation and no one adjusts their feet to point towards that person to 
sort of encompass that person in their feet positioning, you can tell roughly that that person's not that interesting in the group. So they, they, they're not, they don't want to engage with that person. And, and I've noticed it when I've, when I've joined groups of people, people haven't adjusted their feet. And then you notice from other cues, so how they talk and stuff, they don't look at you, they don't try and include you in the conversation. And then with those extra var- variables, you can then understand, okay, they don't really want to talk to me. And then that's when you leave and, and go somewhere else. And understanding body language allows you to tell that a lot sooner than if you didn't know body language. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's, it's accurate. It's more accurate with the feet, I think. Because that's where I always struggle sometimes is like when I'm like in video, for example, is I always feel stress about being on video. And sometimes mm. I feel like there's a standing joke in my family that when I concentrate, my eyebrows come together and I look like a serial killer. And <laughs> I don't always feel like I'm being natural. Like, I, you know, I feel like my hands are always kind of together because I don't want them to show that I'm agitated or annoyed or... And I sometimes think I've got this face on that looks like I'm not interested. And mm. I think this is the thing that's put me off about doing video is it's what I look like. And I'm worried of looking weak or I'm worried about looking disinterested or... Yeah, I, I think that's, that's because there's a lack of... Because you're not actually there physically with a person, there's a lack of communication. You know, you can't see my full body. I can't see your full body. So I don't know what you're thinking and you don't know what I'm thinking. And that can give you anxiety over that. Um, it's why we pace around the room when we're on, on a phone call with someone is because we are talking to them, but we have no body language feedback. So we get a bit stressed and anxious because we're like, hang on a sec, I can't see what this person's doing. Do they like me? Do they not like me? What are they thinking? And consciously, you may not be thinking about this, but your subconscious is telling you, okay, you need to, you know, you need to walk around, you need to get rid of some of the stress. And that's why we pace often up and down. It's to reduce anxiety. I'd say it's a pacifying behavior. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is really interesting, and I think poker players are a key example of this. Um, they they're all about. Yeah, I don't actually play poker. Surprisingly, everyone says I should because I'd be good at it. Apparently, I, I would have thought you'd be cleaning <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, everyone asks. Well, I play poker, so what should I do to not give anything away? And I always tell them. Um, the main thing is to conceal your body language. There's no, if you're sitting like this, you will always give something off. You know, I don't know how long a game of poker goes on an hour, two hours, four hours, whatever, but to not give away any nonverbal communication in that time, it's impossible. You just can't, you will always do something. Even if you actively think about not doing it, you will always give something away. It's just how it, how it is. Um, so they always say, I always say to them that, you want to conceal your mouth. You want to make sure your hands aren't doing anything. So I can actually show you the position, the best position for poker, if anyone plays poker is watching this. But um, the first thing to do is get your hands out of action because your hands basically give away so much information with what they do, um, whether they fidget or move or anything like that. So you want to interlock your fingers. Um, and what that does is it stops your hands from doing other things. Uh, you want to put your thumbs together. And then what you want to do is lean in. So what that means is, when you're in body like um, in a situation, your body language, your proxemic, so the distance between you and the person changes. So say 
I don't know, someone deals a good, or you get a good hand, you see the good hand, you instantly lean in. People could take that as you're interested, you're leaning forward, you're putting yourself closer to the stressor because you're confident because you've got a good hand in, in cards. So that people will like glean that information. So the best thing to do is just always be leaning in. Don't give them any information. So what they do, what they say is to put your elbows on the table, close your uh, thing, interlock your fingers, put your thumbs together and put your hand on your chin and then use your hands to cover your mouth so you're not giving any anything away and then just stare down. That's the best position for poker because what it does is it stops your hands from fidgeting. It stops your mouth if you do any micro expressions from doing anything. It means that you're always leaning in so you're not leaning out in, out in, which could give away information as to how good your hand is and things like that. And it basically just stops you from giving away information that's the only way you can really conceal your body language but then again people will know that you're trying to conceal your body language so it doesn't work if you're a serial killer because they'll be be suspecting you then (laughs) i mean does that work in sort of like work situations you know because i've noticed that since we've gone to like covid working from Mm -hmm. home a lot of people come on to like zoom calls microsoft team and that and the it's almost like there's this, I don't know, like this fight, like in, in debate because they're in their home situation, mm. but they're on a work call. And it's almost like they forget that they can be seen and their eyes are rolling or they're they're not happy at working. You know, I mean, how, yeah. how should we advise? Would that be the, the, the stance for people during like these kind of work situations? Or does that show like lack of confidence when you're presenting, like say we were discussing this just now? Yeah, so again, it's, and this is a big debate with body language that I'm sure we can touch on later, but it's, if you have this advantage, you know body language, you know what people are basically thinking, and you know what signals you're giving off. That means that you have the responsibility to control that. So it's whether or not you enact it. Now, I don't, if I'm on a Zoom call with people and stuff like that, I will judge, okay, well, who am I with? Is it? Is it like do I have to look good or do I, do I, is it just neutral? Like, am I just talking with mates? Am I doing some work, but it's not necessarily important for me to look good in this situation. You take that into context. Now, if you're in a job interview, say, uh, for example, over zoom, you don't want to be doing what I told you because that just looks wrong. You're hiding your body language. People will think that's a bit strange. Why why is he doing that? So you want to really change, adapt. It's called situation uh, situational adaptiveness. Uh, you want to adapt based on the situation you're in. So um, if you're in a work environment, you want to appear confident. You want to impress. So you want to be non-confrontational. You don't want to be dominant, but you also don't want to be submissive. You want to show respect and not arrogant. So I wouldn't sit there with my fingers steepled like this, just staring directly at them, because that shows basically that I'm arrogant and they'll, although they won't know body language, they'll get the impression from their subconscious, this person seems arrogant. This person's too dominant. I need someone. People People want to be surrounded by people submissive to them uh, who won't be a threat to them. So a big thing with, um, with, and I'm sure this is one of your questions, like uh, how to give off a good impression. Um, when you're in a work environment or on Zoom or something and um, you're being interviewed for a job, say, you want to be non-confrontational. You don't want to be um, aggressive. You want to be look interested, you want to seem submissive to the person you're talking to, but you also want to seem slightly confident. Um, and you can choose to manipulate your body language to accommodate that. And I've done that numerous times in, in different situations. Um, 
and it's all about you and what you want to do. So if you're just chatting with mates, I wouldn't change your body language because then you spend your time thinking about your body language and not actually talking to your mates. So it's it depends on the context, really. Because that is definitely something I've done is when I go into interviews, I've kind of got like a, a structure of how I want to sit and what I do with my hands and how yeah. I want to address it. You know, like I want to make sure I'm looking at the the different interviewers the same amount of time and making eye yeah. contact, but not too much. And you know, there's there yes. is some standard things, but so I can give you I can give you the data on because um, they did a study. I can't remember what the study was, but. Um, the data, everyone's like, oh, how much eye contact should I make? There's actually stats to show you how much you should make. <laughs> when 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 someone's talking, so for me now, um, what on average you should be making 75% of the time eye contact with me, mm. and then the rest you should be looking away. Um, that's standard. If you're making more than 75% eye contact, it seems like you're a bit creepy. If you're making less, it seems like you're disinterested. When you're speaking, so for me now, 50% of the time is adequate. So I could be looking away, but so long as I'm looking at you 50% of the time, your subconscious will see that as normal and see that as that I'm interested and want you in the conversation. Uh, so just stick to that if you're, if you're nervous about, you know, oh, am I making too much eye contact? Um, that's the general rule of thumb. And do you think this is, I mean, you mentioned it as a, like reading body language has been like a superpower and, you know, the amazing things we can pick off. And I watched one of your videos where Mary, um, there was the Joker and he was confessing to have killing the, the guys on the underground and, you know, the crowd were booing and you were on about how he had a micro expression of a smile towards the, the Mary, the presenter, you know, yeah. because he still wanted to like him and he was proud of what he'd done. And you mm. actually could pinpoint the moment from the acting of when he decided to kill him by yeah. the betrayal. Yeah. And it was this amazing thing. And I started watching other scenes and picking up such amazing things. But why do you think people don't, is it that we don't understand that you can get better at this? Is Or is it that we've become a society where we're just spoon-fed information and we've forgotten to trust our guts because we can't understand why we That's, think that person's creepy or that person's being a bit weird? Or Yeah, so the reason why they say trust your gut is it's so important. Your gut is the only, unless you've studied body language, your, your gut is the only reliable judge of a person that you have because that's the only thing looking at these body language cues and interpreting it. It's not very good. It's your subconscious. Um, but it's the only thing you've got unless you know body language. So I can give you examples of when I've, when I've manipulated my own body language to my advantage and it, it's staggering how good it is. Um, <laughs> the psychology behind it is, is insane. So I'll give you an example of when I was in the d debating society at, at school. Um, we were doing a debate. I hadn't prepared for it at all, really. Um, and it was like a good f 70 or 80 people in the audience. And there was four people on each side and a moderator in the center. And the way we used to do debates, it was like, um, it was very aggressive. It wasn't just people would speak, then the next people would speak. It would be like, we'd be, it was basically a civilized argument. They'd have the moderator choosing the points and you'd be going back and forth addressing each other's points, which I, I love. Um, we were getting hammered, absolutely hammered. And the way it works is before the debate, the audience vote um, on the motion, so whether they agree with it or disagree with it. And at the end, they vote again. Um, and based on how much the vote swings, that shows who was better at conveying the arguments. Mm. Um, I, I had no preparation. I was losing the debate. I had no idea what I was talking about pretty much. But 
I knew body language. So I sat there with my fingers steepled like this, leaning in, and I made eye contact with the audience and then briefly looked at the first people I was um, competing with. And I kept looking at the audience, kept nodding my head, kept smiling, but my fingers were steepled. And that's a sign of strong confidence and also leaning in. is. And people came up to me after and said I was so confident. And we actually won the motion um, because... I think it was partly the body language when I said my points, even though they were quite weak points, because I looked really confident when saying it, they kind of bought into it and they kind of agreed with it. So it kind of yeah. manipulated what they saw and how much they trusted the information I was giving off. <laughs> I mean, is that then would be a, a good tip, do you think, for people giving like work presentations is to adopt these kind of positions of power or... It, you know, yeah, it depends. It depends on context because if you're not competing with anyone and you're just giving points in an interview um, or a, or a meeting that you're having, you want to you don't want to come across as arrogant because no one likes someone who's arrogant. But you want to come across as confident. So steepling of the fingers, you should do that, but don't do it for the entire time. Change your body language. Leaning in is a very very good thing because um, it shows you're interested. You're putting yourself closer to the stressor. Um, so. If there was a predator, you wouldn't go close to it because that means that you'd get damaged, you'd get injured, killed maybe. So if you're leaning in, it shows that you're willing to confront it. You're willing to fight it. And that shows confidence. It's a, it's yeah. a power move, basically. So you know, if you're in a meeting and someone disagrees with your point, lean in, steeple your fingers, and then try and talk to them and say, okay, well, what do you think? Whilst your fingers are steepled, whilst you're leaning in. And that will show to everyone else that you're willing to stand up for your ideas, you're willing to stand up for what you said, and that you're very confident in what you said. If you just lean back and, and just don't address it and, and look a bit shy, do some distancing behaviors, then people won't trust your opinions, really. Um, that's an, the example I can give. Because on the, on the flip side of that, you did a couple of um, videos recently on catching predators, and you were mentioning about how the you know they were using self-soothing behaviors or distancing yeah. themselves through their eyes or the actual actual physical distance they had and um you know the kind of reaction to even how the speaker's reaction to what they were saying and how yeah. it, you know how it changed them without the the speaker truly being aware of it mm. what could you go into a little bit about self-soothing because i've noticed this far more since i've started watching your videos of p little things people do and it's amazing when you see it but how would you explain a self-soothing or a distancing behavior if you, if you had this sort of summit app because your videos are you you identify even the smallest ones and yeah. it, it blows me away now that i see them yeah but could you explain a little bit about that please so i'll have to explain firstly what body language is now i know we know what it is but like why do we give off body language surely it would be better not to give anything away so that no one knows what we're thinking but we're pack animals at the end of the day. That, that's what we are. And if no one gave off body language cues, no one would have any idea what anyone else felt. So mm -hmm. you could have really, really, really annoyed someone so much so that they like want to kill you. But if they're not giving off any body language cues, you don't know that you're annoying them. You don't know that they're going to hit you soon because you've said something that's hurt them. So that's why people get angry. People give off these cues. And it's why we all do it is to help each other. It's to, it's to, let everyone else know what we're thinking, what we're feeling. And, you know, don't say this because it's offensive. Don't do that because it makes me angry and I might hurt you because of it. So that's why we do it. Now, what 
pacifying behaviors are and self-soothing pacifying behaviors are a way it's all in the limbic system so what that is is the part of the brain that regulates stress so when we experience a stressor or a potential stressor so you know someone or some things a question maybe did you murder someone and if you did murder someone your your limbic system will be flooding your body with with just stress so what you need to do is control that so pacifying behaviors are ways to control that so You'll notice if you're if you're angry or there's a loud bang and you get startled, you'll feel the need to scratch everywhere. You'll feel actual tingling. So what that is is your limbic system trying to calm you down. You have to scratch that to to get rid of it to calm yourself down to help you in a, in a situation. People do that when they're nervous. It shows an increase in anxiety. They have to bring these levels down. There's no reason why we need to do it other than to give off signals to other people for the reason why I said we're pack animals. Mm. Um, but we can use these observations to see what causes the reaction. So, and that's why baseline is so important. If you have a serial killer who is um, always calm, cool, collected, just sitting there confident, and then all of a sudden you ask them, did you kill this person? And all of a sudden they do pacifying behaviors. It shows that they have an increase in anxiety. And that increasing anxiety is what you basically use to make your conclusions. Why did they have a sudden increase in anxiety when you asked them that question? Now, it could be that it's just a question that, would, you know, if you were asked, are you a killer? You'd be a bit anxious, wouldn't you, if some, a police officer asked you that? Yes, so that's, that's when it's, it's context. You know, you have to understand it because it, you have to understand when people get nervous, when people don't. And if someone's always nervous, you can't then use a pacifying behavior as an example or a reliable source of information because they've always been doing them. So that's why you have to like see the baseline. It's like a, a line. And then if there's a huge deviation, that's when you look at it and go, why did that happen? When, what, what were they asked at that point? Who did they encounter at that point? And then you can use that to make a conclusion. So these predators, they've been, exp there was the one I did, um, the first predator video that I did. And when they confront him about his username that he was using to, to basically talk to underage girls, um, he instantly does a distancing behavior and then he folds his arms. He tries to pacify himself. That The fact that he instantly did that when that name was said shows that he has a link to that name. Because if, so, if say, someone said a random name that he'd never heard before, why would he be anxious? Because it's got nothing to do with him. So... Mm that's where it's important to understand um so he did a distancing behavior which is the way of basically us putting distance between ourselves and a stressor and then a pass um, and then a self-soothing -soothe pacifying behavior to calm himself down um due to the increase in stress from that that's basically what a pacifying behavior is and how we can use that to formulate conclusions um and then it's just all about context really on top of that <laughs> Because that's what I really liked about it was like when say the video you of um just before the Joker kills Mary, there was a point where you were talking about this what his micro expression meant, how the Mary's face had gone down, and what that was implying. But he'd actually mm. leaned forward because he he wasn't scared of him at the time, even though he had just admitted yeah. killing three guys on the ground. And yeah. then you mentioned about the guy at the end of the couch, the other guest who was actually folding his arms like self-soothing, like, and it was yeah. this kind of like 
you really maybe understand the scene it better but how it changes from person to person how one person can yeah. be more confident but how it can affect other people is there i mean is self-soothing behaviors always a negative thing is there ever a point where they don't show insecurity low self-esteem or something like that again it's it's context say uh, in our brains we have the sympathetic nervous system that basically chooses the three responses of fight flight freeze response um when we've heard a bang so you hear a massive bang behind you and you hear some people running into your house you're not going to have time to do self-soothing behaviors because mm. the response to that sympathetic nervous system takes precedent so you go into the fight flight or freeze response you instantly do that it's only after something has happened that you actually um experience these pacifying behaviors or self-soothing behaviors um, I touched on it in the Joker Subway video. Um, it's called the Cold Battle Personality. But again, it's a very underdeveloped field. So there aren't standardized terms for these things. Um, he was nervous. He was doing pacifying behaviors. But then the second he pulls out the revolver and shoots the people, he just is cold. He's completely not doing any behaviors. That's because his sympathetic nervous system has basically chosen the fight response and he is focused solely on that. It's only after he shoots the guy in the leg and he runs away that he then starts to do these pacifying behaviors again. He scratches his head. He, he looks around. He, he exhales uh, very, very quickly. It's, it's kind of, and that's what I'm interested in because it's such an underdeveloped field is is why he didn't exhibit those behaviors and what causes him to start exhibiting them after he's encountered the stressor. That's what fascinates me, but it shows that it's not always, they don't have to happen then and there. There are situations where it will be a delayed reaction, basically. Because that was something I really liked from your videos was I started noticing every interaction, there's some sort of power dynamic, there's some sort of give or take or release yeah. of stress or emotion. And it was like, um, I remember watching how people were shaking my hand, like at work, mm. you know, and yeah. the distance they came in, how they held it, how they shook it, the, the pressure and what it meant or where their feet went. And it, you got to yeah. a point where you're almost forgetting to listen to what the person was saying because you were looking at how they were interacting. Yeah. It's been said. I don't know if this is a cheesy phrase or not, but the eyes are the window to the soul. Would you agree with that? Are the eyes a good indicator, do you think? I would say they're decent, but not as good as people say, really. You know, eyes really show distancing behaviours, but all an eye is is a, is a, is a ball. So it's, it's about the positioning of that, you know, whether yeah. it's up, down, or maintaining strong eye contact. I mean, the only things you can really get are... Um, looking to the ground, which is a sign of either submission, um, guilt, remorse, looking up, which is a sign of recollection, um, or distancing, maybe. So looking away. Those are the, and obviously the amount of eye contact. Those are only really what you can get from the eyes. Um, okay. Hands give a, lo a lot of information. People's distance gives a lot of information. But I, I wouldn't, it's one of the big ones, but it's not the biggest, I'd say, um, in terms of information. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. 
The company's showcase will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. So how would we, like, how can we make sure that we're always got like sort of open, warm, friendly communication? You know, is there a kind of, because you see these different things where, you know, if you show your bare, the sole of your foot in Thailand, for example, it's offensive. If you mm. make certain gestures with your hand, I think it's like what we would say rock and roll gesture in yeah. some societies it's offensive. Yeah. Is there kind of like a universal language, body language, do you think? Or does it really depend context, culture, gender, those sorts of things? So, so this is actually an interesting thing that I wanted to talk about is the sort of the socialization. Now in psychology, which I've studied as well, is there's the sort of biological reasons and then the cultural reasons. So biological would be, you know, the limbic system exhibiting pacifying behaviors, but then the cultural would be what we've learned. So perfect example of this, I had a, a, a former Marine or a Marine who was a neighbor of mine and he, I had a, I had a conversation with him and I noticed instantly his body language was totally different um, to what I'd ever encountered before. He, his, we all have personal space. He was right on the edge of the personal space. He maintained direct eye contact with me. His posture was strong, upright. That's because he was taught that in the military. Um, he was taught basically to do this. And that's become so ingrained in his head that that was his common body language. That's how he presents himself to everyone. And that's something he's learned. So it's obviously our our culture can, or our environment can impact how we have exhibit our body language. But then again, also that people do exhibit pacifying behaviors. So there is a, a universal biological element to that. And I think it's really interesting to see how our environment, how our upbringing can influence our body language. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's maybe 50-50. I, I'm not sure. I'd have to look up the data on that and do tests. But the, you know, we all have limbic systems, we all have sympathetic nervous systems, and they do their jobs. They might do their jobs more or less, they you might have more uh, pacifying behaviors than average or less than average, because that's what, you know, IQ, IQ varies so much, IQ is kind of natural, but it can be influenced as well by upbringing. If you do loads of crosswords, loads of puzzles and things like that, you can increase your IQ by a couple of points, but you're still going to be roughly where you were born. Where, where your biology, um, where your biology determined you to be. So, yeah, I think part of it's biological, part of it's uh, social. I'd say because it's definitely something. Like for example, like this is the first interview where I've kind of made sure my eyes aren't wandering as much as they normally do, because <laughs> I always keep my question prompts to the other like half of the screen, and yeah. I didn't want to be seen to be kind of like you know at it. <laughs> You start becoming aware of like the little ticks, the flicks of the pen you do, and like what that portrays to other people. Um, yeah. Does it change? Have you really noticed a kind of difference with the way ma- males and females? Because something I was always brought up was that you treated everybody the same. You know, the janitor mm. to the CEO to yeah. whoever it was, you, you were polite. You always, you know, you treat them like a human being. And then mm. I see friends where you can actually see them change if they're speaking to a waiter because they're ready to shout at them for getting their order wrong or something, Mm. you know, whereas they almost forget it's like they take the power position and it's, you know, is that an indicate a good sign of watching how somebody reacts to people in like these kind of jobs, do you think? 
of what the person's like as a whole? Yeah, I, th- I think there are two points to have from that. Firstly, and this is where I have to tread very, very carefully because you can easily be accused of being sexist. Um, it's all about situational uh, adaptivity. So given our situation, say you have a really confident person and then you have a slightly less confident person. So you have maybe a school jock and then you have um, just a normal person. That school jock or whatever will be more confident, more dominant than the normal person. So when they interact, there will be that power dynamic. That person will clearly be stronger um, and more dominant than the other person. That's just how it is. But then if you take that other person and put them in a room with more submissive people, that person will become the dominant person and will exhibit the traits of the jock, but to these people. So it's all about context. You know, if you have someone who's very submissive, they're still, they could still be the most dominant person in a room if you put them in a room filled with more submissive people than them. Now, I've coined the term dominant and submissive because it's the easiest way to explain the power dynamic, you know, dominant being um, people see themselves as more capable to deal with the threat than someone else. That's pretty much what it boils down to, is um, how much we're afraid. It is fear, basically, how much we're afraid of someone. If you have some really big, tough person coming to you, clearly your subconscious will go, okay, that person's strong. I have to be more cautious about how I interact with them because they could do serious physical damage to me. Whereas if you see someone who's submissive uh, or who's weaker than you, you're going to think, well, I don't need to be as cautious because I am stronger than them. So even if they did try and attack me, I could defend myself. And that's really what it boils down to. Now, the, the, the fine line where um, you often get like bordering on sexism is when you bring males and females into it because it's it's a fact, a scientific fact, that females have less muscle mass. They're not as strong. So often is the case that men will see themselves as more dominant than women, uh, than a female. Now, that's not always the case. You know, if you have female bodybuilders, obviously you're going to be submissive to them because they're stronger physically and our subconscious judges that. Um so this is why you tend to have women exhibiting certain behaviors and men exhibiting certain behaviors when they're interacting with each other. Um, and that's important to understand um, and also not to then exaggerate because then you get into sexism then where people will say, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I try and shy away from that area. Because that was something I was interested in was like, you, you almost see it in other books where people are saying it's a woman's role or it's their prerogative to do this. And you think, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's just more about society than it does anything else, I suppose. And it's, it's yeah. quite sad that we raise women to be, to play, to go into those roles where I would rather, you know, I'd rather get to know the person, but it's, yeah. it's, it's a sad state of affairs. When, it, it, it is sad. Yeah. And I think that, Again, I have to be incredibly careful. Um, but if you look around the world, cultures of it tends to be patriarchal. You know, men tend to be uh, have higher positions in society and higher roles. You know, women didn't get the right to vote in many, many countries and still don't have it in a lot of countries. I think that just boils down to the biology and the fact that we haven't become that civilized yet. You know, biologically, women on average have less muscle mass, so they are physically not as strong as males. Now, I think what that has happened in less developed societies is these patriarchal roles still exist because men are physically stronger on average. So they're able to sort of be dominant and it's not right. And I think the as society develops and we become more conscious, we tend to sort of 
understand that that's purely biological and that that shouldn't impede women from having high positions or positions in government or even the right to vote or drive cars. I mean, yeah, I I think that's kind of, you know, we have to look past our animal side, which is, you know, it's the primitive side of us, you know, judging people uh, because it's a subconscious. um, And I think we need to develop and grow past that and put that to bed. And I think that's why sexism exists. So to be honest, around the world. I mean, it's it's, it's certainly one of those topics. You kind of, you can't help but roll your eyes when you hear people say men and women jobs and all those kind of things. And it's, you think we'd be past that by now, but it's like you're saying, it's the way our societies are set up, like the cultural impact as much as behind of what's happening in our brains. So yeah. What would you say to people about being like, there's a lot of lying, there's a lot of deceit in your videos where you watch people and you say, well, you know, he's doing this because he's dealing with the stress of this or he's dealing, you know, it's how do we... Um, I just realised how that sounded. How do we uh, identify lying, deceitful behaviour, that sort of thing? Is it, again, looking at the context and then looking at the spike in how they speak or the self-soothing or the distance they make figuratively or literally? Or is there a kind of standard way we can tell? Yeah, the, the easiest way to tell, and it's easier in mundane situations because again as i said if you ask someone did you kill someone even an ordinary person who's completely innocent will find that to be anxious they'll they'll get anxious by it because it's a it's a strong question but if you say to someone did you steal the cookies from the cookie jar people aren't gonna do pacifying behaviors if they didn't do it because it's just a cookie but if you ask someone who who did you'd expect to see pacifying behaviors now um Often in the real world, the, the biggest sort of lies that people tell are if they've cheated with someone, that's the sort of the biggest one. Um, and that's why I try and react to cheaters as well, because it's very important to look at. Um, if you just ask them direct, look for distancing behaviors, look for pacifying behaviors. Um, that's like the important thing. And especially in relationships, you'll know the baseline because you've been with them for such a long time. You'll know what they're like. And it's why people get gut feelings that people are cheating on them. It's because they've seen these nonverbal cues and they've sort of understood it with their subconscious. They don't know why, but they just feel that way. Um, look for pacifying behaviors. If they are touching their face or or folding their arms or scratching or fidgeting and stuff like that, these are pacifying behaviors and shows that they're going through heightened anxiety. And the reason why they're going through heightened anxiety is because you've found them out. You've 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 found that they are the liar. If someone is completely innocent and you ask them a, a not that strong question, obviously not like, did you kill someone? If they were innocent, they wouldn't be doing these pacifying behaviors because they know they're innocent and they're not afraid. Um, distancing behaviors then again are another perfect example. If you're looking at someone and you ask them, did you do it? And they look away. Um, it's not as obvious as just look away, but they'll keep looking away with their eyes. They'll lean back in the chair. They'll, They'll try and distance with their feet even. these. If you pair these two together, so they do pacifying behaviors and distancing behaviors, you can say with not certainty, but you can say they're probably lying to you. And that's kind of the easiest way to tell if someone's lying to you. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Because it's, it's like your um, the video when you were observing Amber Heard's testimonial in Court oh, TV. Yeah. And it was amazing how you'd picked up on the fact that she kept 
doing that and like quickly mm. looking away from the person asking the questions because she didn't want yeah. to kind of deal with it and how you noticed she immediately went to what she had been told to rehearse or the answer mm -hmm. and how she was always looking at the person who'd helped her for the support yeah. Yeah. and that i mean when i was listening to it i could have thinking it sounds off and then i watched like when i seen it on tv and then when i watched your video it kind of went ah right and then you notice the mm you know the, the how you look at people like my mom could read me yeah. like a book like and i used to like you know she would just go yeah right you know and it's yeah. it's like you're saying it's that it's the relationship and the the relationship of the group the group dynamics and stuff like that yeah what are you looking for in terms of like dating because i mean i know everybody's thinking body language dating pickup is this sort of thing you know you hear people say a girl plays where hair she's in she's interested it's not really, you know, that could be just a little, like a habit she's got. Is yeah. there such a thing as indicators of interest as pickup used to call it? Is there things yeah. that we can look at for attraction or? Yeah. And I, I think this is the misconception with pacifying behaviors and emotional stress in the limbic system is emotional stress can be positive as well. So, and, and this is important when, if a girl likes you, and you're, you're, you're with her and you're communicating with her, she will be afraid of your judgments of her because she doesn't want you to see her in a bad light. So you'll compliment her or something like that. She will exhibit pacifying behaviors, so touching of the hair. Now, that might be a habit, and that's why you have to understand the baseline. But touching of the hair, touching of the chest, um, scratching, fidgeting, um, these are pacifying behaviors, and these can be used to tell if someone likes you. If you compliment uh, someone and then she does a pacifying behavior that is a good sign that what you've said has caused her some stress she's nervous about it because she values your opinion that's kind of why um why we do these things when when we're anxious and it's the same with men as well men men do this when when in a relationship because there's something at stake when you're communicating with a woman and she likes you she's very, very nervous about what she gives off because she doesn't want to ruin the chances to be in a relationship with you because that's what's causing a stress. She's stressed about that. So if she does these pacifying behaviors. It shows that she values what you think. If she wasn't interested in you at all, she doesn't care what you think of her. So why would she get nervous when you start talking about her or asking her questions? Unless obviously you're being creepy and, and threatening, but that's why the context is important. But if you're if you're talking to someone and you compliment them and they they are clearly like smile and things like that but then they do pacifying behaviors that's a very good sign that they like you because they value your opinion they're afraid of what you think of them in a good okay. way they're, they're nervous about what you your judgments of them because they don't want to look bad to you that's that's why it's kind of yeah th th those are the easiest ways to sort of pick up on someone who's interested in you and eye contact as well because that's definitely something that a lot of people sort of are, uh, struggle with. It's we are told that if they do this, it means this. And mm. you start thinking, oh, they're not doing that. Or, you know, maybe they're just needing to go to the toilet or something like that. That's maybe stressing yeah. them about it. I, I think, yeah, that, that's, that's my big quarrel with these articles and some body language videos online is that they'll tell you the, the dumbed down version, but the dumbed down version doesn't, you know, it's like that thing, I don't know the quotes, like, what, uh, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day, but teach him how to fish and he'll, he'll have, be fed for a lifetime. That's the thing. If you tell them this one cue means that they like you, 
you're giving them a fish, you're giving them one thing, but then in a different context, that, that might not be true. They might not get fed. Whereas if you teach them no pacifying behaviors and the whole background behind it, and you teach them to be able to read the judgments themselves, then all of a sudden you've, you, you've taught them how to fish. They now can understand situations and infinitely get information from whatever situation they're in. I think that's why I don't like these articles. They don't explain why it happens, just purely this means this, and it doesn't work um, like in different contexts. Because there's one, there's a vigil that you have, um, I'm trying to think the character, it's when the Joker kills, um, I think his mom has just died and two two people come over. Oh, Randall, yeah. It's a Randall, I couldn't remember his name there. And, you know, you're you were discussing the the fake laugh he does and how he doesn't, his eyes don't portray the truth. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the pacifying behavior he does and the lead up to him killing him. Could, yeah. you, could you go into a little bit about that? You know, like, what are sort of warning signs of aggression? What are warning, like fake laughs um, of deceit or, you know what I mean? Is there a way to is yeah. it just trust your gut the way it makes you feel, like the hair stands up in the back oh, of your always, neck? Always trust your gut first. And then if you know about body language, then use that. So the biggest sign of aggression is clenched fists. People who are really aggressive will clench their fists by their side. And if you've been in an argument with someone and you see them do that, that shows that they've got to a level where they're preparing to defend themselves. They're preparing to attack you. So that's kind of like an extreme example. Mm. Um, fake laughs, fake smiles are easy to identify. Um, I did a video on Logan Paul and he was... I find all these YouTubers fake because I'm a body language analyst. You can just see instantly, okay, that's fake. All of this is put on as a, as a show. Um Smiling with the eyes is important. Basically, we can smile, but genuine pleasure inc includes wrinkles around around your eyes. It's not actually your eyes, but it's around your eyes. Um, that's a sign that they're genuinely going through these emotions. The whole face contorts. It all shows the expression. And you can actually mm -hmm. see when someone's smiling, even without the mouth. But and, and this is the easy test you can do. If you're watching a video, pause it when they're smiling. Cover their mouth. Can you see that they're smiling with without their mouth if no then it shows that they're actually forcing it because it's the conscious trying to imitate the subconscious and it doesn't understand it really uh, when you're going through genuine emotions you express genuine emotions but when you're trying to fake it and you're not an actor you're not trained in how to do it you do it uh, it looks off you don't do it accurately and i think that's like it's easy to spot once you know how because it's definitely something like i've noticed more it's the 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 smile doesn't meet the eyes. You know, you see it in cashiers, you see it in people in customer care a lot more. You know, it's the yeah. kind of here we go, and then they put on this kind of mask, and it's like, yeah, you know. And I I can understand why you're not in those situations, but it also makes it you, you pick up as a as a customer sometimes in people who just don't want to be there. You know, and yeah. it's um, I mean, I've done a lot of customer care jobs, and so yeah, I definitely want to throttle quite a few of them. Yeah. But, I mean, you're, I love the the way that you you do your videos. Could you learn a little bit about how you run your you know your channel, like how you would do a video? Because you know you've done so many amazing TV shows and movies, and it really makes you appreciate these more. But how do yeah. you start taking apart a video and kind of breaking it down and understanding it and portraying it? Okay, so the first thing I do is I watch a video. Um, 
if it's a TV or movie scene, you know, I, I, I usually know already because I, I like the scenes. I choose ones that are popular because people will know it. And just, I find when people know the scene, they'll find it more interesting learning about the breakdown. But I've been doing a lot more real world stuff recently. Um, I look for like the extreme sort of stuff because it's easier to pick out body language in that. Then what I do is I get the video and I cut it into sections. So I split it up um, maybe like eight eight different sections. And then I watch the first section and I will sit there and watch the whole thing. Then I'll watch it one more time. And usually after the second viewing, I just make notes. So I write down, okay, this is it. This is an expression i could i could i've done videos before like the logan paul ones and a lot of the other ones and um, where i've watched it and just reacted there and then um but i like to pick up on the little details so i will take my time and i will look at sort of the individual smaller bits and write them down and i will do that over and over again and then what you can sometimes do is generally build a picture so if it's a movie scene you can kind of make conclusions based on that. So like the Joker and Murray scene, you know, I, I figured out that Joker actually just only decided to kill Murray at this point because his body language up to that point wasn't showing it. And then after it was, um, I just find that it's easier to do that way. And then I record myself watching the clip just because, well, partly copyright because you have to have your face in it, but also it's quite fun with some of the, uh, crazy videos that I react to, to have my reaction. Um, and then I splice in the reaction scenes that I kind of scripted and made a note of. Um, and yeah, I find that it, it's best to get a lot of information then in a short amount of time to help people and not waste people's time, basically. Because, I mean, I love the, the how you cover such a wide variety. Is there been a, a particular actor or a scene that, you know, that you've been blown away by that it really portrays what they're kind of showing? Because I think there was a Breaking Bad scene when um, they had lost the money and you were talking yeah. about the emotional dysregulation. And, I was yeah. kind of, and it made me appreciate the scene on the level of acting. Are there particular actors or films that you think are great portrayals of body language that you've seen? So I'll tell you my favorite TV and movie scene, like in terms of acting of all time. Um, ironically, I haven't I haven't done them as videos yet, but I will get around to it. The number one film was Downfall. I'm sure you've heard of it with Hitler, um, 1945, at the end of the war, where he's in the bunker. The acting of pretty much everyone there was so good, like so detailed. And even though it's in German, you can just see what everyone's doing. You can see that they're stressed. You can see that they're, they're, they're nervous about arguing with Hitler, you know, the big evil dictator, you know. Um, and there's so much at stake there. And the actors do it so such a good job of portraying, you know, someone who's trying to argue against Hitler, but then but then knows that he's the brutal dictator and doesn't want to infringe, but then has to stand up for himself, his plan, and tries to argue. The The acting is so detailed there. It's, it blows me away. It does. Is that the one when um, I'm thinking of the scene, I think you've seen it probably in plenty variations, where he's been told about the the Red Army are marching and you know he's crumbling and he, yeah. he takes the glasses that's, that's off the and yeah, the emotion and that and you can pick up and all the kind of the group dynamics and the stress and it's the little looks yeah. to each other and it is yeah. epic it's, it's that the, there's so much there that is probably my greatest film scene ever in terms of acting this so good like, so does just, that does it in a way does it become a negative because you can understand 
what it should look like. Does it spoil films and TV shows sometimes when you see wooden portrayals of it? Yeah, and I think this is part of what I was going to say, that body language is a great skill, but it's also a curse. Um, Being able to read this body language and watching films and stuff, when you see bad actors, it kind of ruins it because you're like, "Mm, you shouldn't really be doing that or you should be doing more of this. So there is that element to it, but it's in real life that it's the worst, but then it's also kind of good. So like if you're talking with friends or people, you can tell when they don't like you. And it's kind of like, it's not nice to know, but then that's not really body language telling you that that's the situation. So yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of stressful. And also it's not nice to actively choose to manipulate your own body language to help other people or to, to, you know, I've been to, I was involved with politics for a bit and the situations are so competitive I'm sure it's like that in work environments as well, where, you know, they have people who are are nice and really friendly to you, but actually, you know, they don't care about you. They're purely doing it. And I've been in business settings where everyone's happy and smiling to each other and not one of them cares at all about anyone. You can just see it. You can just see from their body language. They're all doing it to look cool and confident, but actually it's just fake. All of it's fake. Um, and yeah, it's kind of difficult. It's why I hate situations like that. I've been in business situations and I'm just like, if everyone just said what they thought, they'd be much easier than everyone yeah. just being so fake with each other. But I suppose I go back to like the societal, the setup, you know, it's like you have a you have a boss that tells you what to do. You're the underling. You're not allowed to speak back. And, you know, I, I suppose yeah. it comes to like cultural norms and things like that, because I've I've got friends who come from Asian families and they're completely different when you see them with their with their parents to compare to how they yeah. are with their friends because they've got to portray they are a certain kind or and it's I, I don't know I just wouldn't like that that thing of having to pretend to be somebody that no do you think that's why yeah. your your channel has become so popular that you're showing people you're giving people these snippets you're taking popular like entertainment scenes and you're showcasing the true meaning behind everything of why we like it you're giving us or behind the scenes into it yeah i I think that part of why the channel is doing quite well is that people see their favorite tv shows or favorite movies being broken down and explained and then in that they not only get an insight into the scene and the characters but also learn actually that they can pick up on this themselves Mm. it's it's again it's a hidden superpower it's to me body language is the single most beneficial thing you can ever study ever because it's how you interact with everyone you know all it is is communications how do you communicate better with people how do you read people and change and adapt to it and you know i can give you another example of when it's been insanely useful is i was at a a meeting with uh with someone i'm not going to go into like two specifics but the the um, home secretary of the entire country, the UK, was at that meeting. And everyone was so competitive. It was like a business environment. So everyone was like fake to each other. People were confident, arrogant, bragging and stuff. And the secretary of state walked into the room. And so I just went, uh, I actively made the decision. I was at the other side of the room. I walked straight across the room, made eye contact, shook his hand and had a short conversation with him. And I did the proper handshake, um, looked super confident and the rest of the night 
everyone everyone there was coming up to me, talking to me, trying to impress me because they thought I was someone important because I'd given off that body language to them. I'd, yes. I'd been so confident, so friendly with the guy who was so important. Everyone thought subconsciously, okay, this person must be important. It's, um, again, caveman times, pack animals. You know, you have the pack of the group alpha and then you have someone who's able to go up to the group alpha and hold a conversation and, and be jokey and stuff like that. Everyone wants to befriend the guy who did that because obviously they're in with the person who's in charge. They're friends with the person in charge. So they want to get in on their good terms because, you know, they've got mates that are the most powerful people. So it's kind of, you know, if you're at work or something, be friendly with the boss, be confident. If you're being interviewed for something, go straight to the interviewer, shake their hand and stuff. If it's like a group interview or something, you want to be the most confident, the most friendly, dominant person there. And it's it's how you instantly get at the top of of, of sort of the pecking order. Um, you know, everyone says five or seven seconds is what you use to make an impression of someone. If in that time you see them just be super confident, super up there everyone will see you that way forever basically it's um yeah it's because what they it's what they used to say about dating you know if you went in and there was a girl surrounded by a bunch of guys go and befriend the guys as much as the girls because they were they would look at who the group accepted more you know even if they yeah. liked you and you know it was that it sounded sinister at the time but i kind of understand it now about how the group can affect the dynamics of who they allow in and yeah. you know like you said there's great ways to, to use it um i mean something that was something I, I really liked about your your channel was the, the in-depth that you went into but how do you get over this because in covid people are now coming thinking right i want to achieve this you know i'm fed up and not living my dreams so i'm going to start a youtube channel i'm going to go for a better job whatever it is how do you get over the fear of going out your comfort zone like how how did you come overcome the fear of recording yourself because i've always done audio video terrifies me because of i'm always yeah. worried about how i look what advice would you give about that kind of situation of presenting yourself more more normally yeah. i suppose or more confident i mean i suppose i suppose there's two questions there like you know um how do you find the confidence to do stuff on your own and, and put yourself out there on YouTube and stuff and how you do it in a social situation. Um, I was, when I was in school, I would force, and I, I read this rule. I don't know where it's from, so I can't give credit, but it was basically like, if anyone asks for volunteers or asks for anything, always say yes, no matter what you, even if you're the most incredibly nervous person out there, always say yes, always put your hand up. And if you can, live by that rule and just force yourself to do it, force yourself to take every single opportunity, even if you're terrified, it will massively help you. I, um, I run a company and I was, I was invited to come to this thing in London and they needed a, an extra speaker for this event and there were hundreds of people there. It was um, the CEO of the UK Space Agency was there, people who had put um, rovers on the moon were there speaking at this event and there was one seat available and I run a company and I lived by the philosophy. So I said, yes. And I was on stage at 18 years old with these incredibly important people. And it was the best, like one of the best days of my life. I was rocking it. Everyone came out to talk to me. 
it was amazing. The amount of people I met, the popularity was just insane. And that's because I said yes. I was terrified. I wasn't qualified. I wasn't anything. But I said yes, and I, I sort of faked it until I made it. And this actually comes to a quote that I read from Napoleon, which is, power is in the presence of power. Um, you don't have to have any power at all. But if you look powerful, you are automatically powerful, even though you're not. If you If you fake confidence, you are confident because... All that is, all confidence is, is how people see you. It's not really if you're confident or not. It's how other people think you are. That's what matters. So it's if you can fake it, you are it, basically. And that's what I kind of do for everything. I, mean, I love that because they used to always say, act as if. You know, like always believe, you pretend you're confident and then you will eventually become that way because your body goes, well, okay, you must be feeling confident, so let's. I, I must be confident, you know. And yeah. I think it was... Um, so Gary Vanerschak, he was saying about the might as well law, you know, where you just go, well, I might as well just go do that. And that's the way I was yeah. always brought up was, you know, if somebody gives you an opportunity, go for it. You know, if somebody needs to clerk a meeting, to do this, to volunteer for something, because you never know where it can go in the connections and the relationships. Yeah. But which of your yeah. videos are you most proud of? You know, is there ones that you would advise somebody who's coming new to this to come and check out? That you know, which ones blow you away or are you most proud of? I like the real world sort of videos where I actually am able to glean a lot of information and actually uncover the story behind why someone's acting a certain way or what what's happening. Um, so, in terms of educational videos, I'd say. Probably the cop one I did recently, that's one of my favorite ones um, where I basically just explain why this cop gets out his gun on this innocent person who hasn't done anything wrong and, and why he did it and the body language he's giving off. You know, I like it when there's a complete explanation as to why he did it, what behaviors he did. And it was a classic example, again, with the one of the predator hunting videos that I did, exposing predators. The first one I ever did, that's another one I'm really proud of because I just felt like I nailed it. Everything was just textbook example of pacifying behaviors distancing behaviors and it was just perfectly um presented by the guy and i think i picked up on it quite well um i also like the crime case that i did but that wasn't body language related because that took a lot of work i did a lot of research into that um so yeah i think those videos are probably my favorite ones that i've ever done um the film ones are good. I like the film ones, obviously, but I like it when it's just, you know, there's so much information and you pick up on it and you can just effectively say, this person is doing this, 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 and this for these reasons. And there's nothing, there's no concern about being wrong, really. Most of my videos, I'm like, hmm, it could be, couldn't. And I'll say it as a thing. But those ones, I was like, I'm pretty, pretty sure this is what it is. Um, so yeah, those, that's it, basically. So how do you think running the channel has changed you? You know, I mean, after seeing thousands of examples and, you know, the, the minute detail you can break it down into, the the feedback, the comments, etc. what do you think it's taught you about social interactions? And has it, has it changed you in any way, do you think? So running, running the YouTube channel, um, yeah, it it's kind of spooky. I, I did some quick maths based on my viewership, and it says that at any given point during the day, about 300 people are watching me at that exact moment. Very nice. And it's, it's just terrifying. It terrifies me, though, because it's like, 
like 300 people watching my face now. It's like, it's bizarre. I feel like I have a lot of responsibility with that. It kind of, it freaks me out in a way because it's like, it's just a lot of people, isn't it? That I'll never meet, I'll never talk to and stuff watching me. And it's kind of, if you look at the countries that you've been viewed in as well, it's just amazing to think the entire planet, like someone from every country has watched you and they have their mm. own lives and they they do stuff and they've taken the time to watch me and they've might have learned something and stuff you know people watch my videos in schools and it's just it's crazy in fact I, when i was in school people were watching my video the english teachers were watching they put my video on in class not knowing that it was me it wasn't my class it was the other class but they watched me whilst i was in school learning from them it was it was so bizarre <laughs> Because I mean, I definitely have sent your videos to people and said, "You know, look at this. This is what so and so did." You know, and it's that moment of like, yeah, it's strange because I've interviewed people where I can now email and chat to and have a blather with, who I would I would never I always see as these like gods at this kind of level, and it is strange. Like I've I was number was it twenty eight in social. Was a personal development in Slovenia or somewhere like that? You know, and it was mm. like, how on earth does somebody like that find those channels? And I can understand mm. like the big name videos, but you know that. And I think that's the thing, the beauty of your channel as well, is you actually break down things that people enjoy as much, but let them see it at a whole new level. Yeah. But can we change this quickly? Can we understand body language in a matter of minutes enough to? better relationships how quickly can somebody become better at body language do you think i think from watching if someone's been watching this i think if you just literally make a note of what i've said in terms of reading people like the feet and stuff Mm -hmm. and you just learn to look for that it's it all it is is learning to look for it it's not actually the knowledge is quite simple it's just actively going okay i need to look for this in a situation actually remembering to look I think that that's it. You know, next time you meet someone in person, look at their feet and just see what their foot positioning is. Is it pointing directly towards you? Are they are they pointing one foot away? That's the first step, I think. And and then look at their eyes and stuff like that. Are they are they distancing or are they how much eye contact are they making? Are they are they looking at you too much, too less? If if there's a girl that you you potentially have a crush on, talk to them, see what they do, compliment them, see how they react, and and. And don't make any solid conclusions, but just just think like, okay, it might mean this. And as you go on, then you'll be able to have a bigger knowledge base of like proxemics um, and, and why people exhibit these behaviors. And, and that's sort of like a more deeper understanding. But, you know, you can tell a lot from just surface level understanding of body language mm-hmm. and it doesn't take long to learn. I mean, that is definitely like I was listening kind of going, Right. Okay. Next conversation. I'm looking at that. You know, I was I was trying to take it in and think of my next question. And you know, it's, it's you've given out some absolute gems. I mean, I definitely want to do a round two where we really get into the sort of the deeper nuances and things like that. But what would you want people to take from this? Like, if you had to to sum this up, you know, is there a, a go home message that you would give them or a, a like a maybe a bit of homework or something just to rem- remember about? body language Mm. or relationships okay um i think the thing i'll say is 80 percent of any communications you have with people 70 to 80 percent is body language 
If you can master that, you have a huge advantage, an absolutely huge advantage in life because you know how to help people. If someone, if someone, your partner or something is feeling sad, you know what body language to do to help them. You know what body language to do to be confident in work. You know what body language to do if you're being interviewed. And you can significantly improve your chances of getting that job you want or even getting the girlfriend that you want if you do these body language cues, if you know body language. So just take the time to learn body language. We spend so much time learning different languages, English, French, but if 70 to 80% is actually nonverbal communication, that, and it's universal, so it doesn't matter what language you speak, learn that. That's what you should be learning. Um, and trust me, you won't regret it. It's a superpower. Yeah, because when you said that, I thought, why are people not spending more time learning this? And it's almost like people just don't seem to understand that it is this hidden language. You know, it's what these things mean. And it's it's just the small insight you've given in this will blow so many people away because they will start seeing the micro expressions, the fake smiles, the way the eyes, you know, the smile doesn't meet the eyes or the way the feet um, actually highlight their deception of the, or the, the distancing behavior. I mean, I like that one where, you know, the guy was like literally moving his head back or like he was mm. moving it, the, the way he played with his hair and what it meant. Yeah. And there's some amazing videos, but f- until we can get around two, because I know we're way over our time limit, what would, it's how fine. could people keep in t- touch with you? How can we follow, you know, get in touch with you? Um, I mean, speaking events, uh, if I follow your social media, that sort of thing, because you've started a new uh, channel branding. And I also like to ask yeah. why why green, by the way. Well, actually, um, it's psychology. Green and red on YouTube uh, stand out significantly more. And I'll tell you something interesting as well: is that I alternate my thumbnails, so I run one thumbnail for a day, then another, then another, just to see what the click through rate is. Um, when I don't put the arrows, the big arrows, and the circles around people's faces, my click through rate halves. So okay, and and that's the difference between a a viral video and just terribly performing video, the click-through rate. So that's kind of why we do it. Um, and I know I get criticisms for it, the clickbaity thumbnails, but you have to. It's YouTube. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But red and green stand out the most on YouTube, so I'm starting to implement green into the branding, um, basically just to make the click-through rate increase because I think the videos. My average watch time is something like seven minutes. It's it's nuts on YouTube. YouTube is like two or three minutes at best. Um, but my click-through rate is quite low, so I need to get that click-through rate up, and then more people will be hooked onto the videos, I think. Because that's definitely something I noticed was, you know, it's like 30,000 on this video, 100,000 on this. It's You have an amazing amount of views. You know, people are coming because you're giving actual in-depth information, but you're giving valid, life-useful information. But you're yeah. not just coming out with 25 things to look out for on a cover. You know, It's actually quality information that makes yeah. them, giving people examples they've seen and to understand it. But wh- yeah. what, what's your social media handles? You know, I mean, how can people follow along with the branding? So if you go onto my YouTube, all of my, um, all of my uh, social media is there. So I have an Instagram um, which is just Enigma YT. I have Twitter, which is I think Enigma YT uh, or YTC. But they're all on all on my YouTube channel. If you head over there, mm-hmm. um, if you want to message me, I, I'm open to messages. I, I re- usually respond to lots. I've got a Discord as well, um, 
that people ask questions on. Um, but it's all on my, my YouTube channel if you head over there. And yeah, I'm free to answer questions pretty much all the time. And what do you want the evolution of your brand to be? What would you, like, what's the what's the next stage for the Enigma brand? Because you're going to go places. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. Um, well, I made the mistake of not making it about me, and I don't want to be arrogant at all there, but channels are about, obviously what you do, but it's also about the person and the character. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to make it more about me as a person. So I'm doing more lighthearted videos, funny videos that I can react to, and then also implement body language to that because I want, I want to make it broad. I want to make it general to, to everyone, not just me. Um, so that even random people, um, anyone can watch my videos and find it entertaining, but also informative. And I think that's what, if the goal is to teach people body language, that's the way to do it, is to make it applicable to everyone. Um, films are applicable to people who like films and body language, but now it's it's open to everyone, I think, and that's really the aim of the channel. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.